Happy New Year, guys. Anyone wearing any Christmas outfits? I'm pretty much fully in Christmas gear. So anyone else? Just me. Okay, I'm obviously lacking clothes, unlike you, very fashionable lot. But we are today in a new series looking at the book of James, as has been said. And James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was likely to have been known actually as Jacob in the Jewish kind of tradition. And he wrote this book, James, which was written in about 60 AD, and it was whilst he was leading the mother church in Jerusalem, this kind of significant church, he was the key leader. And this is his like, teaching that we're going to go through. And it's very direct for those of you who've known and read James. It's very direct teaching. It's not the sort of book you look at and kind of are trying to work out what he's saying. You look at it and think it's pretty sharp and clear and challenging. And there's debate, is it two sections of the book of James? Because the way we have it now with the five chapters, that's how the kind of the early church fathers proportioned it off. But is it two sections? Is it four sections? Is it 25 sections? These different nuggets and gems of scripture. But because of his proximity to Jesus being his brother, he looks at the book of Proverbs and also the Sermon on the Mount, which he would have heard firsthand, Jesus' kind of hallmark teaching, and he forms this book, the book of James. And we want to go through it and to wrestle with it and to be challenged by it and encouraged by it and strengthened by it over the next few weeks in January, February, and March. And I want to say at the outset that the goal isn't knowledge. And what I mean by that is that the goal isn't just to know more the goal is to be shaped and challenged and provoked by this book. And I was chatting to Callum actually earlier about this. He said, what a, a bristly book to start the year. It's quite a challenging book to start 2023, but it's here to shape and mold us and stretch us. And one of the debates in the early church was, is this in the biblical canon? Because Paul spoke so much about grace and God's love. And James seems to talk too much about action for the canonical, canonical I can't say that word, the church fathers. But as they were looking at it, they were wrestling with it. But basically, both are saying faith in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, leads to action. Talking about it here on Sunday, wrestling with what God's saying to us, should lead to a changed life on Monday. And we want to expect God to speak to us and to shape us and challenge us, to provoke us. And I was thinking about this, if we're not expecting him to speak to us this morning, why are we here? Like if we're just going to be told what we already know, or if we're not prepared to be challenged and stretched and shaped by him, then it's kind of pointless, right? We want to be encouraged and affirmed, absolutely. But we also want to be open to correction and provocation this morning. And we want to value scripture this year. It's not what we haven't in the past. We want God to speak to us and for Jesus to challenge us. We value prophecy. We value time in worship. We value time with God. But scripture has to be our foundation, has to be our bedrock. People often say, well, God doesn't speak to me. Well, he does. He's given you this book, and he wants you to be shaped and challenged by this book, and it's available for all of us to read. And as we look at the book of James, I'd encourage you in your own time to read it through, to read it through a few times. It's just five chapters. You can read it through in your community as well. Of course, we want to teach on it on Sunday for the next few months, but we do want to be wrestling with it in our own time. And actually, that might be more fruitful than what you're going to hear this morning. Not that anything bad's going to come, but actually the time of wrestling before it with God is where God will often minister really powerfully. So as Adele said, we've got these cards. We've got one for January, February, and March. And in these cards, there's kind of a key verse and a prayer for all that Sunday, just to prompt us and provoke us in our own quiet times, etc. And we've also got these notebooks because... We want to encourage us to sort of make notes and for it to shape our lives through the week. I do feel a bit of a pressure giving out notebooks because it kind of 
feels an expectation to say something worth writing down. But anyway, that, we'll see how that goes. And you can make notes on your phone if that's easier. We have fitted cameras over Christmas, so if anyone's not making notes, we'll actually be lasered and kind of zapped throughout the gathering. But that's by way of introduction. But let's kick on and let's open up the book of James. But we really want to just wrestle with what God wants to say to us this year for us as individuals and as a church family. So we're in James 1. So I'm going to open up and read just the first four verses of James 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm just going to read it again. It's just a short passage. I'm going to read it twice. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of his of it, scattered amongst the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, Happy New Year. What a cheery passage to open up. I'm not sure it's one I would have personally chose, but it's a great passage to inspire and challenge us. But why don't I pray as we look to unpack it. Father, we come before you this morning and where you want to strengthen us, affirm us, encourage us, equip us, we, I pray would be open to that and would receive your blessing this morning. But equally where you want to sharpen and correct us, I pray would be open to that too. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I want to say is that trials come. You probably don't need me to say this to you this morning, but trials happen and what I like about the book of James, it's the gritty reality of life. It says, whenever trials come, not if trials come, but whenever trials come, trials happen. And James is speaking to a church who are amidst famine and persecution and struggle and pain. And there's infighting, there's difficulty. And because they're Christians, there's also less opportunity because they're being persecuted. So it wasn't large-scale persecution, but they're missing out on jobs and the economy and other opportunities. And I guess as an aside, it's worth saying that we could find that increasingly that we are having access to less opportunities as Christians, and we need to recognize as a culture, it's all right to criticize almost nobody apart from Christians as we are, but I don't want to sound kind of overly victim mentality, but we are in a time where we could face increasing persecution, as this book of James teaches into. But we do face trials. And I don't want to be glib here and unsympathetic. I'm aware that people in this room this morning, many of us, if not all of us, will be facing difficult times and struggles. And there needs to be time to grieve, time to cry out to God, time to wrestle with things. And we recognize that trials happen. It's important to say that even the people who sit next to you might be going through some major challenges that we're completely aware of. They're unaware of their suffering in silence, but trials happen. I don't want to be glib or trivial around that. I was going to ask you to put your hand up if in the last few months you'd had a family bereavement or a struggle at work or a breakdown in relationship or a hardship at home or a problem in your family life. And I'm sure all of us will be putting our hands up, if not most of us. Trials happen. Rick Warren talks about the fact that he used to think that it was seasons of blessings and seasons of battles, seasons of blessings, seasons of battles. But what he learnt as he learnt to follow Jesus was it's like two sides of a railway track. And 
along the same track, we have joys and things to celebrate. Even on this morning, I'm sure there's things you want to be thankful for, things that you're encouraged by, things that you're really pleased about. But also along the other railway track, there's hardships and struggles and trials and pain. If that's not your story this morning, well, good luck to you. We're, we're jealous of you, but many of us, I'm sure, can attribute to the fact that there's trials and challenges in this life. And James uses the word around trials, so it doesn't really translate particularly well, because it talks about the trials being multicolored and multifaceted and complex. And that's important because he wants to emphasize that trials and challenges in a whole range of forms and a whole range of places and spaces come at us. And the challenge that I'm facing, the challenge that you're facing are likely to be different, but there's multifaceted and there's complex challenges. But what I want to suggest this morning and what James wants to suggest is that in this we have a choice about how we respond. And I don't want to be unsympathetic, but how do we respond when trials come James was talking to a church, and the letter of James is really talking to a body of people who are fighting and arguing and bickering and taking out each other. Because of the persecution and the challenges, they are fighting within. And I want to say as an aside that when we are facing trials, often trials that are secretive and we're unaware of one another, we do increasingly need to show grace and kindness to each other. As a church, we surely need to be known for our kindness and our grace and our love towards one another. We don't know what other people are going through. I read recently of someone saying, not just in the church, but in society at large, we are way more law-based than we are grace-based. And I think there's truth there. With all that's happened in the last few years, we can easily be judgmental and condemning and harsh with each other and less kindness, less grace with one another. So how do we allow our church to be just covered in grace and kindness and thinking the best of one another. So we have a choice about how we respond to each other. Also, we have a choice about how we come to Jesus. When we have pains, do we run to Jesus or run from Jesus? Does suffering lead us away from Jesus or to lead us to God? Do we blame God and there's a place to be angry or do we turn to him to see where he's at work, to see where he's ministering to us? Zach's mentioned this before, but the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, after 9-11, he said, there's a place to say, why God, why God, and wrestle with the pain and struggle. But you also need to get to a place of saying, where God, where are you at work? What is it you're doing in our midst? And I think that's the challenge to us, to have a choice to say, God, where are you at work? How do I respond? What is it you want to say to me? What is it you want to shape me? And how do you want to mold me? What do you want to teach me in this pain and struggle? And he challenges us in this to choose joy. We have a choice, and we're encouraged to choose joy. Consider it joy. It's a choice to consider trials a joy. There's some research by a lady called Hone. She's regarded as one of the kind of key experts on resilience and dealing with trials and tribulations. She actually lost her own child and has been kind of writing lots of stuff post-pandemic and done some TED Talks. She said one of the key things about dealing well in trials and tribulations, this is a secular speaker, is to, to have a choice that I'm going to be positive and I'm going to have a good outlook and I'm going to try and see the opportunities here. What does it look like for us to choose joy? To choose joy amidst the storms, to have a positive outlook. Because the reality is, as a society, we can be quite negative, can't we? And I'm sure that creeps into the church. I was chatting to a lady, I'll never forget this, when I was doing youth work in Gloucestershire a few years back, and she turned up to youth, and 
she was five minutes late and she was so flustered and so angry and she was huffing and puffing and really frustrated and she said to me she said you know I've had the worst day of my life I was like oh wow what happened well I was trying to book my four-week cruise to Iceland and I was on the phone for half hour I thought my heart bleeds, you know, like let's kind of get some perspective here. Like you're moaning about the fact that you were trying to sort out your four-week cruise around Iceland, but we can often just look at the negatives, can't we? We can allow that to creep into our culture. And one of the key ways we do this, I think, is around the weather, isn't it? We love kind of moaning about the weather. It's too cold, it's too dark, it's too damp, it's too this, it's too that. And then that one day of the year where that yellow thing appears, I've forgotten what it's called, and it's sweltering hot, what do we do? too hot out there. I can't work in this weather. This is impossible. How am I not going to cope with this? You know, how on earth should we manage in this heat? We can just be so naturally looking at the negatives in our society. As an aside, this has got nothing to do with my talk, but I need to mention it. I was driving along the meadows a few years back. I'll never forget this. It was a sunny day, a bright sunny day, and I saw two guys walking along topless, and I was like, oh, it's not as hot as I thought, and it's a dashboard. It was 10 degrees C. 10 degrees C to be topless in the meadows, but there you go. So if you take nothing else, write that down, actually. That's quite important. <laughs> write down that anything, it must be at least 20 degrees C in order to take your top off on the meadows, okay? Thank you. But I was struck by this in terms of choosing joy. This is a very kind of significant thing that happened to me last year when I was chatting to a friend of a friend who managed to choose joy amidst trials. This man had lost three children under five for different incidences. Three children under five had passed away for different circumstances. And this person was the most joyful, grateful, godly person you'd ever meet. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you respond to losing three children like that for different situations. I don't know how you get up in the morning, but this person was able to have joy and positivity and to look to God. And that challenged me because if that individual was able to, I was like, I definitely need to be better at this, to choose joy amidst the storms and struggles of life. You'll likely know this story about It Is Well, the famous song It Is Well. And the story of it is that in Chicago, Spafford was with his family and he was going through a hard time where he lost his real estate and lost some money, some big economy breakdown. And he was going for a real hard time, but decided to kind of have a break in Paris with his family. This is in the sort of 19th century. And decided to set sail to Paris. And just before it kind of happened, he tragically lost one child, and it was really heartbreak, but he still decided to go on for the holiday and to go for the vacation to Britain, then Paris. And as they were kind of preparing, the economy lifted, and his situation with his job was able to kind of escalate and grow and he got some income so he said well you go ahead to his wife and his children but he wanted to stay at home back in Chicago but as the wife went across the seas she miraculously was saved alone as the four children drowned as a ship hit an iceberg lost four children she sent a telegram back six weeks later saying saved alone and he wrote that famous hymn, It Is Well, It Is Well. That is someone who's able to consider it joy through the pains and the storms of life. My friend in Bristol, again, able to see the joy in the circumstances and the pain and struggle. Because the truth is, joy and positivity is infectious, isn't it? I was going to name people, but I'm not going to, because 
you start naming people and you forget people. But you know what it's like, you come to church and those individuals who are like just so full of the goodness and grace of God, isn't life amazing? And you're like, yeah, it is. And it's infectious. Those people are so thankful, so joyful. And it just is infectious. It grows and comes upon us. We need to be people who are joyful even amidst the storms and challenges of life. People of gratitude in scripture were challenged repeatedly to, to worship and to be thankful and to be positive amidst the storms and struggles of life. Somehow we need to smile through the trial. Was that cheesy? Okay, it was very good. We need to smile through the trial. Because what God wants to do in the trials is he wants us to draw closer to him because joy and hope is always found in Jesus. And we see this, that James was able to know the goodness and grace of Jesus right to his bitter end. James was killed and martyred for his faith, and he was chased to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and was pushed off. And it wasn't actually that that killed him, but as he was on the floor, they were battering in and fractured his skull, a lovely story. But he was dying, but as he was dying, he was praying for those who were persecuting him and worshipping Jesus right to the bitter end. He knew what it was to have intimacy with Jesus, to know the goodness of God right to death. What does it look like for us to see that actually God wants to draw us closer to him in trials, to get to know him more deeper, to have an intimate relationship with him? God wants us to know the connection with him through the storms and the challenge. We choose joy because we're allowed to relate to him in a deeper and more profound way. We get to know Jesus, the source of goodness and strength, in a new way. Over Christmas, I was with Adele listening to an audio book by a guy called John Eldridge. And he wrote Wild at Heart. Remember that book? I wasn't convinced about it myself. But there we go. Not that he'll particularly care. But anyway, he wrote about resilience and he talked about the fact that in his, his understanding, there's three levels of thinking, there's three levels of thought process. And he talks about the fact that we have the kind of the shallows where those thoughts are kind of come at us all the time, those thoughts where even now you're thinking, I wonder how that light bulb got up there. And then your kind of head goes to, did I turn my lights on off at home? And then you're like, oh, that's bad for the environment. I'm not doing much for the environment. Am I cooking vegetarian meals this week for the environment? And who have got for lunch? And suddenly your head goes all over the place and you're thinking about these thoughts. We do it all the time. We have these thoughts that come at us thick and fast. And the noise and the distractions of this time, the social media world, means that these things are coming at us thick and fast. We can constantly live in the shallows. But then he talks about the fact you have these kind of middle waters he talks about where we have like the aspirations and the goals and the dreams and the relationships. These are the kind of big things where actually, you know, I know I need to love my family member. I know I, this year I want to have these goals and aspirations. These kind of thoughts that direct us and shape us and mold us. As an aside, a few of us are doing a half marathon to raise money for CAP, etc. this year. So if you want to come and chat to me about it after, then let's do that. That's one of my goals for the year. But he talks about the fact that we also have these deep waters, and he says, with all the distractions and the thoughts that go in our heads, we don't really get to that. He says, these are the deep thoughts where Jesus, who dwells amongst us, we read in Scripture, wants to do something in our soul. He wants to shape and mold us within our soul. He wants to go to the deep work. So through the pains and the joys and the struggles of life, he wants to do the deep work in our soul to really shape us and mold us deep within as we come intimately close to him. He says, but what happens is, through difficult times, we can often think, I want to sweep that season under the rug. And that happened, you probably heard this, didn't you, where you, during the kind of pandemic, people said, I just can't wait for 2020 or 2021 to be over. I just want to sweep it under the rug. He said, by doing that, you're actually sweeping your soul under the rug. 
You're pushing your soul under the rug. You're not allowing God to do the deep work within you that he needs to do. By not allowing him to step into the deep waters of your soul, you're not allowing him to shape you and mold you and do the deep work of maturity he wants to do in you. We draw close to God and then we draw close to Jesus and that is the source of joy. Allow God into your soul because as we see in this passage, God wants to mature and grow us. The purpose very clearly for trials and pain and struggle in this passage is that we are maturing, we're completeness, we're Christ-like. And the more we become like Christ, the more fruit we produce. We go through pain and struggle in order to be sharpened and molded into greater things for him. God doesn't prune us to be unkind. He prunes us for greater fruit. He prunes us so that we can be more like him and be used for greater good. How is God shaping you? How is God shaping me? Because so often what we're going through now is training ground and preparation for what's next. As we are struggling or as we're going through trials, actually God is maturing us and growing us for what's next. This passage that we read starts by talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's important because we talked about this at Christmas, actually, for those of you there on the 18th of December. And we talked about the fact that 700 BC, the Assyrians and Babylonians were persecuting God's people and the, the church, before the church of God's people had to spread, it's called the dysphoria, and the, they scattered across the world at that time. And he's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, which now is God's people, because as followers of Jesus, we become the 12 tribes of Israel. But what he's saying through this passage of his story of perseverance throughout the book of James is that what God meant for good, the devil was aiming for for harm. What the devil was trying to use for harm, God used for good, because what was meant to be a problem and a disruption for God's people actually led to his church scattering and growing. God uses the pain and struggles of life to grow us, to mold us, to shape us, to look and act and live more like him. I know from my own life when I can think of stories from my own journey of being bullied or illness or relationship breaks down, even would you believe there's been challenges here at Central? I know that's hard to believe, but there has been. But looking back, you can see how God grows you and shapes you and molds you, how he uses those times. Just as God used the scattering of God's people in Israel to grow the church, he's using it to grow us, to expand his kingdom. When you look through scripture, when you look at Abraham and Moses and Job and Joseph, you could go on. There's never a Bible character whose pain and struggle isn't for greater purpose. When you read the story on, we have the benefit of hindsight. Many of us today, I'm sure I can speak to brothers and sisters who can testify to the fact that things that happened years ago and now for greater good have been key at the time were difficult, but now we can see the fruit and the benefit of that season. I've said it before, but as a church, I'm sure we're so thankful of the last few years. They've been challenging at times with a pandemic and other challenges. But we'll be grateful of how we've strengthened and grown and drawn closer to Jesus through the hardships and trials of life. God was saying to me as I was praying, for this morning, he said, if you only knew my perspective, if you only knew that actually in five, ten years' time how you'll look back and be thankful of the season, then you would change your perspective. We're not God. We need to see it from his perspective. We need to understand his long-term perspective. What does it look like for you this morning to trust that he's got you, that he's got his purposes and plans within the trials and storms of life? We're not God. Let's trust him with that. My favorite creature is the lobster, and I'm hesitant to say this because some of the staff team have heard me talk about the lobster about 4,000 times, but I'm going to proceed. So ignore me, Naomi, and stop smiling. That's rude. 
But the lobster is like my favorite creature because a little known fact about the lobster, but it's got a mushy interior and a hard external shell. And what happens is that the mushy interior gets bigger and stronger and grows and it gets uncomfortable because it gets too big for its outside shell. So it goes under a rock, sheds that shell and then gets a new shell and then again it gets uncomfortable and it grows and expands and has to shed that shell under a rock and this cycle goes on and on and on. But the point being is that the lobster won't grow without the pain and the struggle. Without the adversity, the lobster won't grow. And the same is true for us. If we don't allow pain and struggle to shape us, we don't grow. We always grow more through the storms than we do through the highs of life. And interestingly, we can often think that in our society, we deserve comfort, we deserve safety, we deserve wellness, we deserve the American dream or whatever that translates to in this country. But what if actually the storms and the challenges of life are what mature us and grow us and shape us and mold us to be more like him? How do we value the times of trial? We choose joy because trials grow us closer to Jesus but also mature us. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you to be a person who chooses joy because of what God wants to do through the pains and the challenges and the storms of life? To have God's perspective to realize that he's got us, that he knows what's best for us, that he sees the bigger picture. As this passage says, let's be a people of perseverance amidst the trials. Perseverance in trials, not trials, produces maturity. That's important. It's the perseverance of growth that happens through the trials, not the trials themselves that produce maturity. Over Christmas, I got a book on the early church by a guy called Creed. Now, that's how rock and roll my Christmas was. And it talks about the early church and does some real research into what saw the first 350 years of the church flourish. So after then, approximately 350 AD, Constantine brought the church and the state together, and that's when the church grew and expanded in that capacity. But before that, it's hard to understand why the church grew and flourished as it did for the first 350 years. Because when you go through, there's very few mission strategies, there's very few evangelism talks. It's almost non-existent. There's not even sermons on it. It doesn't have these sermons and these recorded talks about Matthew 28 and go and change the world. It doesn't really happen. But what they have found is kind of three key texts all talking about the perseverance of God's people, the patience of God's people enduring the storms. And this researcher, Creeda, talks about the fact that all we know is that the church grew steadily and healthily as they persevered, as they kept going, as they kept enduring. That's what James is talking into. We see this throughout the book of James to persevere that's the key to his church that's the key to us today the church thrives in the margin the church thrives when it's up against it that's when it grows that's when we see fruit this was a rallying cry for God's people back then it's a rallying cry for us we can easily come as we come into 2023 thinking let this be the year of healing the year of breakthrough a year of new opportunity the new year of planting churches a year of growth a year of expansion the year of this the year of that the year of hope the year of opportunity and of course those are good things but what if God is calling me what if God is calling us to be a people who persevere keep going and let him take care of vision let him take care of expansion and growth and maturity as we keep going, as we keep pressing into him, we let him take care of the growth and strengthening of the church. What a witness to be people of joy and perseverance in a world that can give up way too easily. 
Because what we see throughout scripture, what we see throughout my life, your life, our lives, is that obedience leads to blessing. The anointing rests on obedience of following Jesus through the storms and challenges of life. How do we as a church in 2023 choose to persevere, choose to be people of joy when it's hard, choose to see the trials as opportunity for maturity, choose to press in to Jesus? We have a choice. Are we going to walk away and give up on God? and expect him to meet with us, or are we going to step in and press closer to him? Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray for anyone this morning who is, perhaps even secretly, but just desperately struggling at the moment. I pray that they would know just courage and strength and hope in you this morning, and peace. Even if the storm doesn't pass, I pray that they would know deep peace in you. But I also pray that where you want us to choose joy, to be people of joy. Where you want us to persevere, where you want us to be strengthened, where you want us to keep going. Individually and as a church, I pray we'd be called into that this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you anoint and bless us with this. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.